Hey everyone, this is Michelle Cantrovasquez and I am the founder and editor of News Is My Business, an online news site based in San Juan about Puerto Rico's business community. For this special episode of Dollars and Cents, we sat down for an exclusive interview with Soraya Correa, Chief Procurement Officer of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, and Antonio Sosa Pascual, Co-Chairman of the Puerto Rico Information Technology Cluster, about what it takes for local companies to do business with the federal agency. Let's hear what they had to say. So the first thing I, I like to tell businesses, especially if they've never done business with the federal government, get familiar with the agency you want to come visit. So if you want to come talk to us at the Department of Homeland Security, as I mentioned, we're a very large organization, right. a large enterprise with multiple uh, business areas, You know, whether it's transportation, security administration, or federal law enforcement training, or secret service. So if you're interested in one of those areas, then you want to target your conversation in that direction and kind of come in and try to understand what that organization mm -hmm. is, what are the kinds of things that they buy. This is all information that's publicly available. See who you're going to meet with. If you get the names of the people you're going to meet with so you kind of know a little bit about their background. And then come in and talk about what you bring of benefit to the department. You know, there are hundreds of companies, thousands of companies that want to do business with the department. And what's going to bring you in the door is when you tell me you have something that I can buy, something that solves a problem, or you know that you can be a good competitor for something I'm about to buy. Okay. So one of the suggestions I always make is look at our acquisition planning and forecasting system. Okay. That's our annual report that goes out. It's actually a database that goes out and talks about what we're going to buy over the next year. And where year. can they find that? That's on our www.dhs.gov website. It's a publicly available uh, opportunity. And it's, and it's a, it's a database. And we actually update it on a semi-annual basis and we try to get better at it every year. But there's good information there about the kinds of things that we're buying in each of the components of DHS. Mm -hmm. So that would give them an opportunity to think about, you know, what, are, what is the business that I'm in and what do I want to sell to the department? Okay. They can also learn a little bit about some of the contracts that we write. Again, that's publicly available information. But I think if you target your conversation, think about what it is that you want to sell, how you want to sell it. And very important is small businesses. A lot of small businesses often forget that it is that we have programs that are targeted to small businesses. Mm -hmm. So small businesses should work with the Small Business Administration to get the proper certifications in the areas that they're in. So whether you're woman-owned, service-disabled, veteran-owned small business, in a hub zone, uh, 8A, whatever classification or combination of classifications, companies should make sure that they learn how that benefits them, get the proper certifications, and always tell the agencies you're dealing with if you have those certifications. Now, you're of, you know, Puerto Rican descent. Mm -hmm. um, is Puerto Rico in your radar Puerto often? Rico, Puerto Rico is in my radar. All, all the all the companies that we do business with, small and large, are always in my radar. And that sounds a little, you know, it sounds a little catchy. But, but all companies everywhere. Everywhere, okay, correct. Yeah, because I'm always interested in looking at who are the small businesses out there mm -hmm. that can really help us. Nothing against large businesses, right. but the reality is that small businesses is typically where you get most of the entrepreneurial spirit. Right. That's where jobs are typically created. In fact, I, I, I don't remember where I heard it, but recently somebody gave a speech, I think it was a small business administrator, that said, this is where small right. where jobs are created, small businesses. So to me, it's extremely important to know what market is out there of small businesses. What are they selling? From not just from a technology standpoint, but from any service standpoint. 
So we want to make sure that we're targeting, that we're setting our contracts aside for small businesses when it makes sense to do so. In fact, that's a requirement of the regulations for right. the federal government. The first thing we do is look for small. And so do you have an annual budget that you set aside for yes. small businesses? We, so it, it's not really that we set aside, we set goals okay. for small businesses. So each year, the Department of Homeland Security, on average, our goal is about anywhere between 32 to 35 percent, depending mm -hmm. on the type of year. Um, we spend about $25 billion a year in oh. buys, and about $18 billion of that actually goes out in contracts. Wow. Okay. So when we talk about you know ex achieving or exceeding our goals, 35% of those dollars are going to small businesses. And it's 35% of the 18? Of the 18, okay. correct. 35%? Okay. At a minimum, because sometimes smalls could get some of the other chunks in other programs. Okay. okay? And so again, bringing it back to Puerto Rico, because I do need mm -hmm. to have the business sure. angle sure. Um, from Puerto Rico. Do you... Um, do you know of the participation of Puerto Rico-based so businesses? I don't have that, but okay. I could probably get that for you. Okay. Um, but what I can tell you is that we know that all the companies that we're doing business with, in those, when we look at the 11,700 plus companies that have contracts with uh -huh. us, there are companies in every state, every territory mm -hmm. of the United States. We know okay. that for sure. Okay. And of that 11,000, roughly seven, it's like 11,700 companies that we do business with, um, about 7,800 of those are small. Mm -hmm. And in FY18 and 17, about 1,500 of those small businesses were winning their first DHS contract. Mm -hmm. So that gives you an idea that we're actually out there looking for companies because new new companies bring new ideas. What was the have, percent again? That's a, big, that's a big number. Yeah, that's percent? about 1,500 companies out of, so we have about 11,700 companies right. that we do business with. 7,800 of those are smalls. Okay, right. So um, that's, that's a good percentage. 1,500 are won their first DHS contract. Okay. Um, and that's, you know, that's not an accident. What we, we really have programs to market small businesses. So I mentioned our Office of Small and Disadvantaged Business Utilization. We have an organization that does that. They work in conjunction with my office. In fact, they sit in my office. Um, we work in partnership with them, and they have several programs, including a monthly outreach program where small businesses can sign up okay. to come in and not only meet with them, the Small Disadvantaged Business Office, but small business specialists from across the department, as well as large companies who already have contracts that might be looking for subcontractors. So we, we kind of call it, it's a, kind of like a speed dating type of approach, but it gives an opportunity for small businesses to come in and market not just us, but also companies that are doing business with us. Now, I know this might sound like a very basic question, mm -hmm. but it's a reality. How important is it for companies to you know, do their business in English? Because we have so many small businesses here that may not necessarily right. have that happening, and they need that. And we've over the years found out that they're actually adamant about yeah know, approaching and getting certified and all of yeah. that because of the language Generally, issues. that's a hard question for me to answer because I speak a little yeah, bit of Spanish. Yeah. I speak enough to get me in trouble, right? And I have several people <laughs> on the staff that could get me in trouble. I'm um, no, just kidding. Um, I would say. Yes, it's important to be able to do business in English because your contracts are probably going to be written in English. Um, but I would say that more and more we have quite a few people that speak all kinds of languages. Okay. And we have the opportunity and the ability. We actually have contracts for translation services, especially okay. at Homeland Security. Okay. And I can tell you, we have a very diverse workforce in the contracting and small business community. So, for example, when I came uh, in December, 
most of the people that I had at my table, out of five of us that were at our table, three of them were all fluent in Spanish, two from Puerto Rico. And I ask that because that's, yeah. that, in my experience covering these issues over the years, people mm -hmm. will actually miss opportunities. Mm -hmm. Well, that's one of the reasons we came out. I mean, you know, I when, when the opportunity came, I said, well, I kind of speak the language and know mm -hmm. a little bit about the island. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know enough to get myself in trouble. Again. Um, but again, <laughs> because I'm trying to encourage companies right. to come forward, right? We're going to get the right people to have the conversation with you, and we're going to help you through the process mm -hmm. um, but companies shouldn't be discouraged um, and just tell us just say hey you know our CEO doesn't speak a ton of English you know could we have someone there perhaps okay. that can help us have the conversation and there are consulting companies that will help with that too there are many right, consulting right. companies that that help um, companies learn how to interact with the government and can kind of come and help and do some of the marketing for the companies I've seen a lot of that as well And so you're participating so, in this uh, IT. As a matter of fact, my company does. Uh, does it? Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Let me, let me just step up on this piece because what, there's, it's a two-way street too. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the federal government needs to be More open, open. Right. but at the same time, the company needs to step it up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's the reason why it was important for us to, for her to be here. And what she's done, which in less than a 12-month period, come twice. That's yeah. a big deal. Okay. Yeah. And that's what I was going to ask if you've been to Puerto Rico before. And part of it is that education. It's the education. Yeah, it's to educate the companies and help them understand that a, we're open. That's one, that's one important aspect, but also you've been here twice, mm -hmm. right? So have you been able to perhaps assess you know, the market in terms of technology offerings and from, what's available? From what I've seen, I'm extremely impressed. In fact, when I went back home, I actually made that comment. I said, that's a gold mine out there. Why aren't we getting more people out there? In fact, one of the things that I even talked about, even beyond doing business with the companies, why aren't we out here recruiting people to come into our intern programs? One of the folks that was at the table last year is a contracting officer that works at uh, TSA, the Transportation Security Administration. Mm -hmm who came through our intern program and now she works over here full-time. So, so you, just because somebody comes up for an intern program doesn't mean they're not bringing it back home. So are you now actively recruiting in we Puerto are Rico? Trying, we're trying to recruit, yes. Okay, yes. and so what does that entail? So that would entail us coming down to the university and having a conversation with their business majors, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I have someone on my staff that's already working on that because we're actively pursuing to get people into our intern program, especially on the contracting side. Mm -hmm. And look at the opportunity. If I can get them into the APCP program, our Acquisition Professionals Career Program is what it's called. And that program is not just contracting. I hire program managers, uh, IT specialists, uh, cost analysis, Uh, logistical engineers, test and evaluation managers. So it's that whole cadre that supports an acquisition environment. And okay. it's a three-year program. They're, the, they in, work, the internship program? The internship program okay. is a three-year program. Okay. They work for me okay. uh, during that program, but they're based out of one, of the one or two components. So they'll okay. rotate around. They get trained, and at the end of the program, when they graduate, they get hired by one of our components. Is this a paid internship program? It's a paid internship Ooh. program. They're, they actually have a real job, and they carry a workload, and we train Them and, the and then day. they get hired. And then they get hired. Wow. And the nice thing is that if we can get, and that was my conversation with some of my folks, so we have this gold mine of businesses down here that could be doing business with us, but also if we can get some folks to our program, it improves our diversity because there are a lot of 
Hispanic veterans and women, et cetera. So it helps us with our diversity numbers as well. I'm thinking you're, you're talking with the UPR Mayaguez, right? Yes. Because this mm-hmm. is where... Mm-hmm. Okay. That's who my folks are talking okay. to. Yeah. yeah, because that's where these kinds mm-hmm. of careers are... And, and by the way, I learned that when I was here because uh, somebody gave us a stat when, in the presentation with the federal agencies when we were having the government-only conversation. I think they gave us a stat that about a 1,000 engineers that graduate from UPR get recruited and they go back to the U.S. to right. work, and I went, many of them at engineers? Well, many we got of them too many NASA. of those. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. I'm married to one. Um, <laughs> so I go, there's too many of those. We need business people. But I, but I think it's important that we target and recruit yeah, um, yeah. And, and see, because if we can get more bilingual folks, then that brings the businesses in. So Does that re- um, internship program have a name? Yes, it's called the Acquisition Professionals Career Program, APCP. That's and it's important. a three-year, it's a three-year yeah. program um, and, and you're actively looking for people. And we're always looking for people, yep. <laughs> so, you know, something interesting, uh, you know, I am, I am going to do everything I can to make sure that at least a year, two or three years from now, we have a couple of companies doing business with mm-hmm. you. Know, sure, the, the sure. That's like, yeah. of course, you know, yeah. I, you know, I need to get those, I have one client, but I have to get more clients on that. Right. But in addition to that, I have to get it through the system, yeah. make sure they're providing a good service or good product that they need. So that's one of my personal commitments. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, a, 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 but one of the things I, I liked about uh, Soraya's approach and the agency is she told me about the Silicon Valley Innovation, innovation Program. program. For uh-huh. And that maybe mm-hmm. it is a good venue to, to channel yep. it. Okay. Yeah, and you, and you can learn about, that's public, that's public, it's out there, the Silicon Valley Innovation Program, it's advertised out there. In fact, I think you can even go out and just do SVIP. <laughs> and it's actually nationwide, it says Silicon Valley, only that was the name, it was like the glamorous way to name them, yeah. don't say that out loud, because okay. I didn't like the name either. No. Um, but but we, hire from, we hire from across the country, okay. and we really are looking for who has that technology that's out there that might help us solve a particular problem, an idea that maybe we haven't even thought of, right? Um, and the way it's the program is set up, because you know, you're making an investment and you could fail. I mean, you have right. to understand that we deal with taxpayer dollars. So we also want to be careful about that. So the way it's set up, it's in four tranches that we make awards, and there's four steps. Mm-hmm. And a company can come in in any one of those tranches, depending on how developed their technology is, when we decide to award, they can win up to $200,000 because it's based on the technology. Well, that's good. Yeah. And they can get that, you know, they, they can win that work, do, perform the service. We're testing every step of the way. If at any point we decide we're not going to use that technology, then we just let them know. Mm-hmm. But at a minimum, they have an opportunity to come in and try something that they might not have thought of because of the fear of dealing with the government because it does take long it's, sometimes it, to award contracts. It's that fear that's paralyzing. It's daunting. It's it, daunting. It's a very daunting. Yeah. The government is big. It's it's complex. It's different. So, yeah. and it's time consuming. And it, it is. is. Well, and, and is that's it, the other it, thing that I'm trying to fix. And it, it can be expensive as well. It can right? be expensive. It can be it can be costly to oh, so talk also about the SBIRs. Sure. So is this Silicon Valley program a substitute for the SBIR? No, or? it's a separate program. It was basically designed for attracting the entrepreneurs. That's really who we were trying to get to. So how we started that program, we went out to Silicon Valley, San Francisco area, and visited with companies to understand what motivates them, you know, what kind 
kind of technologies they have. People made pitches to us, and so we could understand what they want to buy. And I actually went out. I had contracting folks with me as well as the CIO and representatives from our science and technology directorate. So we went at it as a team to see what we could come up with. And we stood up this program primarily to attract those companies that might never consider doing business with the government because it's too hard. They don't, you know, a lot of these folks that are that are building these new technologies, a lot of them are doing it, they truly are doing it in their garage, and they have a day job. And so they don't have a lot of time to spend writing proposals and pursuing right. opportunities. So that's what we were targeting with Silicon Valley Innovation Program. SBIR, the Small Business Innovation Research Program, and a couple of the other programs that I talked about, the broad agency announcements, those are designed for companies that are established, right? That, mm-hmm. that know how to market, that whether they're doing business with the government, they know how to market. They're already established as a business. They kind of know what the steps are in doing business with the government. But what we're trying to do with these programs is simplify the process. Um, The biggest thing that I keep emphasizing to my team and and that I talk about when I go out, when I'm meeting with other federal agencies as well as with industry, is the things that we're trying to do through my Procurement Innovation Lab, which is to simplify the proposal writing and evaluation process. I don't need to see, a, a, a ream of paper doesn't tell me if you're good. When I sit around a table talking to a company who demonstrates a product or a service or comes in and, and shares with us how that service works and we see their team and we can ask questions, that's where we're going to learn and we have greater confidence in the contracts we award. All right. And so if you had one piece of advice mm-hmm. um, for local companies that are perhaps here today mm-hmm. and have listened to you, you, know, you talk about what you do. What do you tell them, you know, that Walk, they should don't do? don't run. No, just kidding. Um, mm-hmm. Turn on that phone and go to www.dhs.gov. Click on the Do Business With button and start getting familiar with us. And not be afraid to reach out to us. And how long do you think it would take for them to be in the door? That's to be the in the door point. in terms of getting a meeting? Yeah. Kind of depends which component they're, want, they're going to want They're going to want to meet with. Okay. Um, we're coming into the end of the fiscal year, the last two quarters of fiscal year, so that's our busy time, so it's a little harder to get meetings. It isn't impossible. We okay. still schedule meetings. Uh, on average, to get on my calendar, my calendar, about three to four weeks. Not bad. But my industry liaisons, they don't always have to wait for me. Sometimes they'll come to me and say, hey, do you want to be Because it depends on what the company wants. If they mm-hmm. want to talk to me personally, and I do give time of my calendar, then that takes a little bit longer. But if they just want to meet with a program, usually our industry liaisons can reach out and get those meetings scheduled, usually in about a two to three week window. And how important is it to meet? You know, with you, um, it's not important to me. With me, I'm the least important person. No, I'm I mean, just in, in, the, in, in the general sense, how, is it, how important is it to get that first meeting? Or you know, can you get I think, off, off with, the, with the relevant official? Right. With the relevant, I think it is important to let people know that you're interested and to also. Um, get the information flowing with the right people. So very often I'll invite members of the CIO staff when companies are coming in to demo a product or to tell me about some new technology or system that they've built that solves some kind of problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, I'll I'll tell you a really good news story. It wasn't a Puerto Rico company, but this was a couple of years ago. A company came in with a technology on how to, uh, an emergency alert system technology, and they were selling it to... uh, law enforcement agencies, uh, local law enforcement police stations. But they had not been able to break through to the government, so they came in and they talked to me, of all people. Mm. And I said, well, you know what? I think you need to go talk to these components. I think FEMA was one, mm. and I forgot who the other, science and technology, and a couple of others. Interestingly enough, the guy sent me a note a year later and said, I got my first contract. 
with I think it was with FEMA, mm-hmm. and he said they like it so much they've asked us to go talk to these other components, and wow. now they were expanding the business. And it was just a this is who I think you should go talk to. Here's who I think could use this technology. Let me ask you something else because you mentioned FEMA, mm-hmm. and it brings to mind you know the never ending the never ending question of you know how did Hurricane Maria mm-hmm. um, impact perhaps you know the way DHS and its components. You know, worked with Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that you are able to? I'm not to talk really about? able to talk okay. about that. I, I was here. I was uh-huh. here after. Uh, you were the, here. I was here. It, it, Maria was unprecedented. I don't think. Uh, and in fact, this morning, um, one of the speakers actually said this. None of the contingency plans that anybody wrote, none of the, the game plans that anybody wrote, for, could foresee what what Maria would do and the total devastation. Nobody had really thought about, so what happens when you have no infrastructure, right? right. No phones, no communications, no electricity. So it was unprecedented. So, But I do think that we've learned from it quite a bit. I mean, always, you always come out of these things and you learn and you take those lessons learned and you revamp your Well, plans. and I can imagine that now technology takes an even stronger um, mm-hmm. you know, stance in all of this, right? Yeah, but also, what happens when the technology can't work? Right? Yeah, because which is what happened here. Yeah. I mean, really, they, here the technology that they, they keep, they keep. I think there were two. I mean, you know, there were two key things that happened that had never happened in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Number one is that all the cell towers collapsed. Mm-hmm. Not one, mm-hmm. all of them. All of them. Mm-hmm. And number two, there's no way to get. Um, um, a, what is it? Diesel, diesel. Mm-hmm. to operate the plants because everybody had plants. Right. Yes. Yep. Everybody had plant, but, but if you couldn't diesel. get the, you know, yeah, you couldn't come into the ports the and then stuff. You, yeah. you know. And then you had people stealing the diesel, which is a whole other kind That's of That's a whole different, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, it, so appreciate your time. Sure, you no, know, my pleasure. Um, and hopefully we'll, we'll meet yeah, again. Definitely, definitely. Okay. Thank you. Thank Antonio, you thank you, you so much. No, thank you. Thank you. And, and by the way, I love your podcast. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it was great. So we'll make this one a podcast too. Yeah, awesome. Okay. Thank you. If you, our listeners, have a topic you would like to hear us discuss in this space, please send us an email to news at newsismybusiness.com with your suggestions. Until next time.